It's Monday, October 19th. I'm Oscar Ramirez in Los Angeles, and this is The Daily Dive. Stimulus talks continue between House Speaker Nancy Pelosi and Treasury Secretary Steve Mnuchin, with the deadline set for Tuesday on whether anything will be able to get done by Election Day. It seems there have been some agreements on more stimulus checks for Americans and aid for airlines, but disagreements on other issues such as a national testing strategy. Ginger Gibson, Deputy Washington Digital Editor at NBC News, joins us for this, millions of Americans who have already voted early, and what to expect from the final debate between President Trump and Joe Biden. Next, the coronavirus pandemic has sparked a need for more plastic. Demand for everything from face shields, gloves, takeaway food containers, and even bubble wrap for online shopping has gone up. And with that demand, it has severely set back the effort to recycle. This is happening as big oil companies are investing hundreds of billions of dollars to create new plastic. Companies that have made pledges to use more recyclable materials are even in a tough spot, as new plastics are far cheaper than using recycled plastic. Joe Brock, special correspondent at Reuters, joins us for how the coronavirus pandemic has accelerated the trend of creating more and not less plastic trash. It's news without the noise. Let's dive in. We've been in negotiation with the speaker. She's been demanding we throw $3 trillion at this problem in a way that is largely, in many respects, unrelated to solving the problem. Joining us now is Ginger Gibson, Deputy Washington Digital Editor at NBC News. Thanks for joining us, Ginger. Thanks for having me. I wanted to start off this week by talking about the stimulus talks between Nancy Pelosi and Steve Mnuchin, the Treasury Secretary. Pelosi has set a Tuesday deadline for reaching some type of deal just for something that they can get done before the election. They, they're still uh, uh, pretty far off on a couple of key issues. Uh, one of the sticking points was something about a national testing strategy and some of the wording that was being changed with regards to that. But they have agreed to help the airlines and another round of $1,200 stimulus for Americans. So there's still a lot yet to be done. But the big question is, will something be done by Election Day? You know, they're very close, and it is looking like they could agree on something or pass something before Election Day. But we're only, like, two weeks away, a little more than two weeks away, which makes it really difficult to actually get something in people's hands before Election Day. So it could be that we see by Tuesday at the two-week mark that they've reached a deal. But keep in mind, this is extraordinary. Having Congress do anything in an election year would be unusual. That March and April stimulus packages were highly unusual to see Congress move at all in an election year. And to do so only days before an election would be incredibly unusual. So watching closely, it is one of those things that looks like, and it has looked a couple of times like it was coming together and then it's blown up. So I wouldn't declare it done yet, but they are making movement towards it. The plan that the House is working on is between 1.8 to 2.2 trillion dollars. I know the Senate is also working on something, maybe about half that size. I think uh, they want to do something narrower, about 500 billion dollars. That's right. So you look at the size of these packages, and you realize that there's a lot of space in between them. And President Trump, when he last sort of canceled talks or he said he was canceling talks, although we don't think he ever actually did cancel talks. He said that it was that Democrats were asking for too much, that they were trying to spend too much on Democratic priorities. We know that there are members of the Republican caucus in the Senate who would like to see that number smaller, as you said. But then the president really undermined that part of his party by saying go big or go home, by saying he wanted even more money. So where they land is probably going to be if they get something on the larger side, especially given the way Trump has talked about it. 
Let's talk a little bit about voting because we've been seeing stories about really long lines of people casting their ballots early, 10 hours. People, Some people were saying they were waiting in Georgia. We do have some numbers. 22.2 million people have already voted. And there was a Wall Street Journal NBC News survey that was talking about people's levels of engagement this time around. And I think it was about 85% for both Republicans and Democrats saying that they're at the highest levels of engagement this uh, election cycle. I mean, we're really looking at the potential for record turnout, especially when we see, as you said in that poll, extraordinary numbers of people engaged on both sides of the aisle. At NBCNews.com, we have this great tracker that uh, people can go and look at where it tells you how many absentee ballots have been requested and how many have been returned as well as early voting. And it compares it to 2016. And there are states where the increase is a thousand percent. I mean, that's (laughs) extraordinary, right? Six 700% increase over 2016 at the same time. So we're really seeing uh, people being engaged. They're ready to vote. They're ready to get out there. They've made their minds up. We've got one more debate. And, you know, I I think that's probably what often gets people to make the last of their minds up that haven't. So we really know that just people are engaged in a way that we've really never seen before. I did want to talk about the debate coming this week, Thursday, October 22nd. It's going to be at Belmont University in Nashville. The moderator is going to be Kristen Welker from NBC News. And President Trump's already setting the stage for that. He's already tweeted about it, uh, saying that she's terrible and unfair, just like most of the other fake news reporters. Uh, I mean, this is a tactic that the president has employed throughout this whole thing. He has. And I have to say, we saw my coworker, Savannah, just doing a phenomenal job right. on that debate at that town hall Thursday night. We're going to see my coworker, Kristen Walker, doing a phenomenal job in this debate on Thursday night. They're both just complete professionals and amazing at what they do. And I'm so looking forward to seeing Kristen really sort of take this whole debate on and be a, a fantastic moderator, I'm sure. Uh, but this is it. This is the last debate. This is the last time we'll see them on stage together. And in a year where we normally would have seen them three times, we're only going to see them twice. We know historically that viewership for presidential debates drops off as each debate occurs. That's probably because people are making their minds up. They've seen what they need to see and they're deciding. Although given all of the uh, speculation and attention and unusualness around this one, this one may defy uh, that trend because people are just paying so much attention, even if they've already made their mind up. And the president came out so strong the first time around. A lot of people said that might have hurt him. I know people in his campaign thought he might have gone a little too far. So this is kind of the course correct. How does he come about it this time? And we know some of the topics. It's going to be COVID-19, of course, American families, race in America, climate change is going to be out there. So a lot of stuff to get through. The last thing I want to talk about briefly was just kind of strategy going into these final weeks. What does the president have to do? What does Joe Biden have to do? Because for Joe Biden, I mean, stay quiet, no major gaffes, you know, avoid anything bad. And for President Trump, it seems like he's got some ground to make up. President Trump has all the ground to make up. Um, You know, Joe Biden has been leading consistently throughout this, both in swing states and nationally. He's also just far outraised Donald Trump. He's got way more money, so he's spending almost twice as much on television advertising. I'm sure someone's listening to this right now going, like, all of the commercials I see are campaigns. And Joe Biden is really beating Donald Trump on that front. Trump is going to have to find some way to overcome that deficit. He's going to have to find some way to really turn this election around. And so far, every effort he's made hasn't tried. So there's a mountain in front of him if he's going to be victorious on, on election night. 
Yeah, and even, you know, I've been reading that there's uh, been meetings for the Trump campaign and the Republican National Committee to kind of come together and, and coordinate. They feel like there hasn't been coordination between them, especially when it comes to these ads and, and things like that. Yeah, you know, we've seen a lot of problems. And this is a campaign that um, four years ago, you know, the, the current campaign likes to say they were building the plane as they landed it in 2016. And they swore that 2020 was going to be different. They were going to build this perfectly well-run machine uh, to, for the 2020 election. And we really are seeing the wheels come off in the last week. Public infighting, public airing of them not getting along, some strategy questions, core strategy questions. So there clearly is some division. And we see this when campaigns know that they're losing. And, and I think that's why we're seeing that here in the weeks before the election. Ginger Gibson, Deputy Washington Digital Editor at NBC News. Thank you very much for joining us. Thanks for having me. These oil and gas giants need to use up this oversupply of you know, shale gas in the U.S., They've got dwindling opportunities to use this. And one area they can put it into is making new plastic for the developing world where there's a rising middle class. Joining us now is Joe Brock, special correspondent at Reuters. Thanks for joining us, Joe. Thanks. Pleasure to be on. wanted to talk about recycling amid the pandemic. Because of COVID-19 and everything that the world is going through, really, it's kind of put recycling on the back burner when the pandemic was hitting very hard, everybody immediately needed a bunch of PPE, personal protective equipment, masks, gowns. A lot of that stuff is made with plastics. And beyond that, takeout containers, because people were ordering from restaurants and ordering in. Just the need for plastic increased as people were staying home. And as I mentioned, it's just kind of put recycling on the back burner. And there's big corporations, big companies that are increasing demand for plastics and they're trying to supply more plastic. It's really become this whole thing. And we talk about climate change. It's come up in presidential debates, but nobody really talks about the plastics problem very often. So, Joe, tell us a little bit about it, how the pandemic has created more of a plastics problem. Before the pandemic, we had a plastic waste crisis. Um, and I think that there was an awareness about that, that it's killing marine life. It's, it's leaking toxins into drinking water in some of the world's poorest countries. And then the, the pandemic hits and we have this flood of new plastic, you know, containers from food takeaway, you know, bubble wrap, because more people were ordering in as they were stuck in a lockdowns, as well as the, the life-saving PPE, the masks and the gowns and the body bags, which is understandable. But also you have this double whammy where plastic recyclers are suffering like every other industry under an economic meltdown. And they are unable to recycle the plastic. And the price of oil from which plastic is made drops dramatically. And that means that new plastic becomes very cheap and recyclers cannot compete with that new plastic. So you've got this tsunami of new plastic arriving on the scene. Recyclers are struggling. And so this dynamic can only lead to more plastic waste. I think that's a very important thing that a lot of people don't realize or they forget right away is that plastic really comes from fossil fuels, oils and, and petrochemicals. And, and as you were mentioning, you know, to make new plastics, these single use plastics, it's so much cheaper now than using recyclables. Uh, you know, there's companies that have pledged to use more recyclable materials in, in their packaging and whatnot, but it, it, they just can't keep up. You know, new plastics is just cheaper for their business models. And all of this can become a driver of climate change. 
Correct. And I think this is something which has been overlooked or misunderstood during the climate change debate. Not only is plastic made from fossil fuels, oil-derived products and gas, this is a growing area for struggling oil and gas companies. People are driving more electric cars, they're moving to cleaner fuel. These oil and gas giants need to use up this oversupply of shale gas in the U.S., They've got dwindling opportunities to use this. And one area they can put it into is making new plastic for the developing world where there's a rising middle class in parts of Asia and Africa. The problem comes that these are the places who are feeling the plastics crisis the worst. So as oil and gas companies are spending about $400 billion to increase production of plastics to use up cheap oil and gas, these countries have no way of processing that plastic. So with already a waste crisis, more supply coming online, no way to deal with it. What do you think is going to happen? And the oil and gas industry are planning to spend about $400 billion over the next five years on new plants to make the raw materials for these new plastics, virgin plastics, as they're called. Through Reuters, you guys surveyed 12 of the largest oil and chemical firms around the world to see what they're doing about this waste. And really, they're just spending a fraction of the money that they're making on sales to devote to working on waste. So you've got uh, campaign groups and some politicians and some governments saying to the oil and gas industry, we need to reduce plastic production. And what the oil and gas industry is saying is we are investing in recycling infrastructure. We are helping poor countries to deal with their waste. And that's where our story really came from. We wanted to check that claim. And what we found was The pledges made by the oil and gas industry are a fraction of what they're spending on increasing plastic production, and they will have a minimal impact on reducing plastic waste. So I think that that's a key point for us to understand, because as the oil and gas companies tell you that they are fixing the plastic waste crisis, it's important to interrogate those figures. And I think that's what we've hopefully achieved with this story. I wanted to talk a little bit more of the effect of the pandemic. As we said in the beginning, you know, face masks, gowns, the PPE that we need to protect ourselves, that's also a big thing that's going to be fueling a lot of the waste. You mentioned in your article, China used 12 times more face masks than they did in earlier months. In the United States, they generated an entire year's worth of medical waste in two months at the height of the pandemic. So this is a lot of stuff that we're going to be seeing and the effects are going to be with us for some time. Yeah, I think that's right. And I think that's where it's worth separating the issue here. I don't think anyone is saying that plastic is not an incredible material with multiple uses and that it's helped industrial organizations to make planes lighter, make cars lighter. I think the issue here is single use plastic. And the fear is that this pandemic will exacerbate that trend of single use plastic. So Although people may need masks and need gowns and these are essentials, if companies were to take this opportunity to increase the use of plastic, single-use plastic, then it's going to add to the waste problem. And that's something we've seen with oil and gas lobbies who, since the pandemic has hit, have written to lawmakers in the US to say that single-use plastic is safer than other materials. Now, scientists have found that that's not the case. So you have to question whether the the pandemic is being used by certain vested interest companies that they want to capitalize on this to increase their profits. I think when a lot of people think about plastic waste and the huge problem, they definitely think about our oceans, 
plastics make up about 80% of the marine debris. And we've seen the big problems. We've seen the Great Pacific Garbage Patch, you know, which is just a bunch of plastic and netting and things like that. So I think a lot of people are really focused on that when they hear about a plastics problem. But I mean, it's really ranges all over the place. Yeah, absolutely. And I think this is a problem which affects everyone, you know, it affects humanity. And I think that you see you see it in the oceans and certainly in parts of, you know, Southeast Asia, which is, you know, considered one of the biggest tourist destinations in the world of pristine beaches, turquoise oceans. You've got these waterways completely clogged with plastic, fishing communities devastated where their livelihoods are at, are at risk. As you mentioned, huge floating plastics uh, in, in the Pacific and elsewhere. But it's not just in the oceans. It's clogging up rivers. It's uh, affecting you know, communities where they rely on food supplies, where plastic waste is littered. So you know, this is an issue that impacts everybody and it should be an issue which everyone wants to help fix. We talked a little bit about the efforts from the oil and gas companies to limit plastic waste. But one thing that I did not know and I found very interesting that the world's top three plastic polluters for two years running now are Coca-Cola, Nestle and PepsiCo. Obviously, they have a lot of plastic packaging. Their bottles are made. Uh, the, the bottles that hold the soda in are, are made from plastic. And they're constantly setting goals to use more recyclable plastic in their products and not meeting those standards. And a lot of it goes back to what we were saying at the beginning. It's just cheaper to use new plastic than it is to use recycled stuff. Coke and Pepsi and Nestle and the other big consumer goods companies are giving a, a, a consistent message. They want to fix this problem. They want to use more recycled products. But when it comes to meeting those targets, they're consistently missed. And this is over decades. And then they set new targets. Now, what they're saying is, we cannot get the recycled material. Now, they cannot get the recycled material at the right price. It's cheaper to buy new plastics. Now, how are you going to get more recycled material? Well, you need a, a very advanced recycling system. And that's what we're highlighting in this story. The investment in that recycling infrastructure is simply not there. The oil and gas industries, Coke, Pepsi, they say they're investing in it, but they're investing a fraction of what they're spending on advertising, on new production. And this is a competitive industry. When you go into the store and you look at the bottle of Coke, the bottle of Pepsi, the bottle you know, of, of another brand, the price of the packaging is significant in that product. And you don't want your product to be increasing because you're using more recycled plastic. So the proof is in the pudding. We've seen that they've made these, these promises before and they've missed them. So I think we need to keep checking and keep seeing if they're going to meet those promises in the future. I mean, it's such an interesting issue, and we know that plastics have been a problem for such a long time, but it's kind of this other side. You know, when the lockdowns happened early on because of the pandemic, we saw cleaner skies, even cleaner waters, and everybody was like, wow, this is great, but this is kind of an unfortunate side effect. We needed all these other plastics at that point, and as we're saying, it's, it's cheaper to use newer plastics. So this is kind of the other side where the pandemic negatively affected all of this. So it's just an interesting look. I suggest everybody go and check out Joe's piece, The Plastic Pandemic at Reuters. Joe Brock, special correspondent at Reuters, thank you very much for joining us. You're welcome. It's a pleasure. That's it for today. Join us on social media at Daily Dive Pod on both Twitter and Instagram. Leave us a comment, give us a rating, and tell us the stories that you're interested in. Follow us on iHeartRadio or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. 
This episode of The Daily Dive is produced by Victor Wright and engineered by Tony Sorrentino. I'm Oscar Ramirez, and this was your Daily Dive.